You know, instinctively in life, we, uh, we know the truth of that adage that uh, in life, most things are better caught than taught. You've heard this, yes? Yes? I see a lot of faces that go, no, I haven't heard that. It's just, it, it, it's something that we all know to be true. There are a lot of ways we can learn things, and teaching is wonderful. If you're a teacher, good on you, that's, that's great, but you as teachers know just how hard it is to take information and shove it into an unwilling brain. Uh, for that matter, even when the brain is willing, many times receiving it doesn't work so well, but when we, when we see things modeled, um, that's a whole different level of, of learning, isn't it? It just, it just, think about it this way. Think about it in a, just a very concrete example. Say you have two different dads, not you personally, that would be weird, but you've got, as an example, two different dads, and, uh, and they each have a son. Now, the one dad knows nothing about mechanics, knows nothing about auto mechanics, never tries to know anything, doesn't want to know anything. He has a good job. He can pay for it. So, I mean, the most he does is pull into a filling station full service and have them pump the gas and check the oil and, and, and the fluids. And if the car breaks down on the road, he has the roadside assistance. And that's all he cares about his vehicle. Take the other dad for a moment. This guy, he is just, he's not an auto mechanic, but he knows cars, and he's been around cars, and so he pops the hood. He knows what, it, what the parts of the engine are. When he, he can take his kid over there and go, this is, this is the carburetor. Well, no longer that, obviously, but you know, and this is the radiator. This is, and and if, if the alternator breaks down, he can diagnose it. He can put it in. He keeps the air just perfect in all of the tires at all times. He can, he's taught his kid to change the this, that guy. You know those two guys, right? You guys are really quiet. Okay. All right. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, you're all familiar with automobiles. They, yeah. And, and people that know them and people that don't. Okay. So you got those two dads. Which one of those kids is going to have an interest and the ability to work on cars as he gets older? Well, obviously, it's the one that saw his dad do it because it's not just, you can learn a lot about cars from books. You can you could go get educated. You can get YouTube videos that'll show you to do stuff. But it, there's something, isn't there, about having that value, the whole value system, the whole level of importance, the familiarity, the, the being unafraid to just pop the hood and get under there and look and do some things. That, that's just communicated on, on, a, on a modeling level that is so much deeper than just what you can learn in, in a book or a video. When it comes to proper soul care, not car care now, but soul care, we need examples. So never underestimate the value of faith models in the Christian, Christian faith. We, we need that. We have, a, we have a, a pressing need to not only hear sermons and not only read books, but to have it modeled for us. So the big idea today, remember the power of healthy faith models. As Brian said, we're rejoining Paul. He's at Miletus. He's got the Ephesian elders there with him. We are fast coming toward the end of this, this passage. And as also Brian happened to mention, he left off warning them about fierce wolves that would come in and not spare the flock and drag people away. So that's where we left off. And then we come into it now where he says, be on the alert. Therefore, be alert. And what follows really then is, is sort of the filling out of what that means and what that looks like. 
But Paul, when he says be alert, he doesn't start with a didactic lesson on how to be alert and three points and so forth. The first thing he does is he turns it back on himself. He reminds them of his example of how he had been. He was the dad that was always checking the air in the tires. He was the one that was attending, paying attention, making sure that the church was in a good place. As a pastor and elder, this is a fantastic reminder. If you're an elder here in this church, this passage is very much for you. If you are wanting to be an elder at some point in in the church, this passage is for you. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a mentor, if you are in any position where your life is visible as a Christian to those around you, really this passage is for you. We want churches where there is leadership providing an example of what faith ought to look like. We want to be those models because we know they translate better than just the bare word. We need the flock. We need the whole, you know, the whole people of God, and we need those godly examples. Is that, are you tracking with that? Does that make sense to you? Yes? Yes? Quiet, old quiet group here today. Um, good. Okay, so here we go. First of all, remember their vigilance. When it comes to faith models, remember their vigilance. It says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So they don't remember Paul as this guy who just dropped in once in a while and gave a little talk. That was not the Paul they knew. Um, Paul was, gave them a pattern, a whole entrenched pattern, which they had seen for nearly three years. And I'm going back a little bit. Paul's already recalled this to their mind. But remember, he has just been diligent about bringing to them the whole counsel, the word of God. He, he did it daily there at the hall of Tyrannus. Remember that? And then afterward, uh, he would go house to house and he just kept preaching and, 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 he, and, he, and he just kept uh, being the example of how we should protect the flock and be alert. Here Paul gave all he had night and day. He admonished them with tears. The word admonish means to exhort or warn, but Paul just, Paul didn't exhort or warn them like something out of a Hawthorne scarlet letter, you know, somebody just with a bony fin- finger shaking at them. He says he did this with tears. There, the, he was passionately vigilant. The sheep mattered so much to him that when he, when he preached to them, there was, the, 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 there was pathos, there was passion, there, there was concern, actual concern for their lives. He wasn't just checking obligations off a, 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 a list of, of, well, if I'm going to be a good apostle, I need to do, make sure I do this, 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 and this. And Oh, yep, warn them today. Good. No, it, he was driven. He was driven. He cared for the flock in that way. Let me give you one example. This is from the book of Galatians. But see if you don't hear that concern and that that tear and that ache in Paul's voice. He's talking to the Galatians who are being misled away from the genuine gospel. And he says, oh, foolish Galatians. Do you hear that? I mean, I know I'm saying it with that, that intonation. But don't you hear this intonation with the words, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's, he's, he, he's concerned that they're leaving the gospel. 
and it just and it hurts. It hurts him. What an example this is to those of us who care for the flock of that le- that kind of concern, that kind of passionate concern in in our vigilance. Uh, you know. I, of my many faults, I know one of my faults is being lighthearted. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I was, yeah, born on whatever day of the week that's supposed to be. I don't know which one's the child that's lighthearted. Anyway, I'm that, I'm that child. I'm lighthearted. I like humor. I tend toward that. But you know what? There, there are times when I go, man, you, you need to get a little bit more serious here because the stakes, the stakes are so high. We need elders who are vigilant who are passionate in their care, that they would shed a tear at the very thought that one of God's children, one of God's, you know, one, one of the sheep would, would go missing. We, we, well, ought, we, we need to carry with us that, that, that sense of passionate vigilance. In general, I think, uh, I think the modern evangelical church has become too, at times, flippant, um, lackadaisical, too comfortable, comfortable. I think the diminishing of the idea of church membership has been part of that. You know, 20, 30 years ago, it seemed like all the bigger evangelical churches were thinking, yeah, membership's too hard. Let's just kind of get away from that. And when you got several thousand people out there, you know, basically just consumers taking in a message and that's all they're doing, there's not too much drive there to actually be passionate. And if somebody's missing, you don't know they're even missing. But that's not, the, that's not how it's held out to us. We need shepherds who are, are passionate. So let's repent of that. As leaders, as fellow elders, let us see the stakes that are really uh, in, in view here. If you're not a leader but part of the flock, I'd like to just make a couple quick applications before I move on. First of all, if you're in a church where there are elders who are passionately motivated for your soul and to watch over you, thank God for that. That would be one. Um, the other thing I might say is encourage your elders because they are doing a hard work. It, it, it is a hard work, and it's hard even to fall into the right habit of it because, again, it, this hasn't been typical of the church over the last several decades, and so there's a learning curve. There's just a, a growing realization that, that elders have that there's something really important that they're called to do. And then if they give themselves to it with that kind of passion, it, it can be consuming. So yeah, be thankful for that. Secondly, remember their faith in God and his word. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now what Paul's doing is he's kind of moving away from himself as that example, and he's telling them, you know, in the absence of his example, in the absence of, of him being there, how things need to go and what has to happen. But even in that, he's sort of giving them an example, isn't he? He's giving them an example of where his, where his faith uh, is. How are they going to survive without Paul there? How are they going to get along? How can Paul be sure that the, that the flock at, at Ephesus is going to be okay? You say, well, he could Skype with them. No, no, no. FaceTime. Oh, well, maybe not that so much. Maybe he could call them on the telephone. No, he can't do that. What about, what about uh, telegraph? That's in the old, uh, no, still no telegraph. No tele- post office? No post office. How's Paul going to realistically 
entrust them to, to God's care and, and, and have any way of, of sort of being there for them. Maybe some of you parents that are getting up into that, what, age range in the 40s somewhere, you start to, um, you start to wonder what, what's going to become of your kids when they leave home. How many have thought about getting a helicopter? I've read about helicopter parents. Have you ever thought about that? Just get, just get a helicopter and just hover over them for the rest of their, yeah, that won't work. You're going to run out of fuel. You cannot do that. What do you do? What do you do? What, you entrust, do what Paul did. You entrust them to God. In faith at that moment, knowing you cannot be there, in the case of adult parents, you probably shouldn't, you know, parents of adult children, you probably shouldn't be there quite to that extent. You don't need to be hovering over them. What do you do? You entrust them into God's care. You pray. You, you, that's, isn't that how you entrust someone to God's care? You, you commend them to God. You sort of relinquish them in your soul, and then you pray for them. I pray for my kids all the time. They pro- I think they get to where they maybe think it's obnoxious of me, but I'm always texting them, hey, what can I pray for now? You know, I know that one thing's okay now, so what, what can I pray for? And they're probably like, dad, I, you know. but, but when we can't be there, when, when we don't have that proximity, we pray, we commit them to God. But along with that, Paul is commending them to God's word of grace. He says he commends them to God's word of grace. What's, what's, the, what's God's word of grace? Do you know that? Because like, that's kind of an interesting turn of phrase. Clearly, Luke is using this turn of phrase from, from Paul um, to, to point to the Scripture, and particularly the Scripture as it communicates and is full of and engenders the grace of God. Therefore, it, it is un, un, undoubtedly related to the Gospel. So it's the Scripture, and especially the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave them the whole counsel of God when he was with them. And now he's confident that leaving them in God's care, that that ongoing word that they still possess, that they can still call to mind. And remember, they don't have a a full scripture yet. They don't have the whole Old Testament, New Testament written form. Um, They would have had parchments and scrolls and few of those. But but they would have had the, the, the enduring word that was left with them. And this word was capable of building them up and giving them an inheritance among those who are being sanctified. Essentially what Paul is saying is, is that God, who is in control and watching over the flock, that God and his word are capable of keeping them in the faith, building them up in the faith, growing them all the way to that time when they are in glory and they've received their inheritance. And Paul, so Paul is confident that God can do all of that. That's what God's word tells us. And Paul models his confidence that it is capable of doing that. How many have seen the movie Brigadoon? Oh, serious business? One person? All right, go home and watch Brigadoon. Two people. 
Go home and watch Brigadoon. Gene Kelly, how can you not love it? And it was even filmed in color for those young people, so you don't have to watch one of those boring black and white things. But anyway, yeah, Brigadoon. It's a wonderful, maybe you've seen the play, but it's this wonderful story about this Scottish village, and it's enchanted. It's taken up into the heavens at night and then deposited the next day, but a hundred years have taken place on planet Earth. And, uh, and then in the, in the movie, in the course of the movie, they, they, there's this, this real poignant scene where they explain to Gene Kelly like how it is that Brigadoon came to be the way it is. How many know that story? Yeah? Again, okay. All right, well, I'll tell it to you. So, there, so they had a pastor a pa- they, they, that, of, the, of the local kirk, you know, the church, and, uh, and, and he was a, a godly man and, and a very passionate pastor of his people, and he was concerned because he was nearing the end of his life. He was old, and he knew he was going to die, and, uh, and there were witches going through Scotland, and they were, they were, you know, pulling people away from the faith, and so the pastor goes outside of town on a hill, and he prays for Brigadoon. He goes outside of Brigadoon because he's, of what he's asking God to do, and in sort of the sacrificial prayer, he prays that God would, would enchant Brigadoon in this way, and, and, and th- thus save the church from the wolves and the, and the witches. Pretty, isn't it? Nice story. Is that how we're supposed to protect the church? Is, is that our only confidence? Can, is a pastor's only hope at the end of his life in terms of thinking about his church that, oh, maybe God will take you up and, and then drop you down 100 years later? Yeah, no, no. What we do is we, we follow the word of God, we organize, we order the church according to God's word, we install elders who care about God's flock, we entrust the flock to them, and we entrust the flock to God and to the word of his grace. And Paul is sure that they will, they will make it all the way to receive their inheritance. So Paul models that, that faith. Thirdly, remember their integrity. Remember their integrity. One of the really corrosive elements that will threaten the church, uh, along with the wolves that we talked about last time, is uh, a lack of integrity. That, that will bring a church down quickly, especially if, it's, if we're talking about greed. Did you, how many heard the story recently about this pastor? that we, they, uh, Unfortunately, I, I guess it, it, it became a viral video but he was uh, doing kind of what we do where we, where we record the sermon and, uh, on, on video, and so it was on YouTube, and he got up in front of his congregation one morning, and he was feeling a little cranky, and uh, I guess he was kind of one of these health wealth preachers, and he had asked specifically for a Movado watch from his congregation over a year before, and they'd never gotten it for him. Are you familiar with a Movado watch? Watch. I guess they come in at, you know, if you buy the bargain stripped down version, you get one for 400 bucks. But they get a lot more expensive than that. And he was just like giving his, his congregation the beans because they had not bought him that watch. And it went viral. And, he, you know, the news media picked it up and talked about it. And that doesn't do us any favors, does it? That does not help the cause of Christ in the world if people think that we lack integrity. People will not be one to the gospel if they think that pastors are on the take, if we're, if we're trying to fleece the flock. Elders are to shepherd the flock. What, are, what does shepherding look like? Shepherding looks like leading, guiding, correcting, feeding, and, 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 and so forth. And protecting, that's a big one. 
But nowhere in the scripture does it ever describe pastors in the church as fleecing the flock. I mean, I know if you really are a sheep farmer, you do, you do have to, you know, but, but nowhere are spiritual shepherds told to fleece the flock, nor are they to eat the flock, you know, nor are they to butcher them and, and have them for dinner. Although, if you've, have you ever had a lamb chop with a little mint jelly on the side? Mm. Oh, very, very good. Um, but we're not to do that either. None of that, because we are to be people of integrity. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul could boast two things there when it came to his integrity. One was that he had not taken any of their money but rather that he had earned his own money, and within the earning of his own money, he had even helped others. So he supported himself, he supported those that were with him, and those who were weak, saying that it was more blessed. By the way, did you know that that is a saying of Jesus that only Paul records for us? It's not not actually in the four Gospels anywhere. So Paul has preserved one of the teachings of Christ in, uh, in the book of Acts here that we wouldn't have otherwise. Now, Does this mean, and I know what you're thinking, does this mean we shouldn't have to pay the pastors? Yes, we've talked about this before, I know, but it it bears repeating. That's not exactly what Paul is teaching here. If this were all that was said of elders, this was the only thing, we might derive that idea from it. But Paul actually says this very clearly in uh, in 1 Timothy. He says, let the elders who rule uh, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor is speaking about pay, uh, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wage. So in principle, one can say that, yes, churches ought to pay their full-time staff. If someone has left their normal uh, what other area they might be making money in and they become a pastor and, and they, they have to have their livelihood from the preaching of the gospel, then yes, churches should accommodate that. But what he's saying very clearly, though, is that godliness is never meant to be a means of striking it rich. Now, there are some, some I, I, I think there are legitimately pastors of rather large churches in the U.S. or very dominant churches where they've written good books and they've made some amount of money coming, you know, from selling. I think that's all legitimately. But, but some of this stuff is just you know, like the people that have to have a, a, a new corporate jet, you know, after five years because the old one's starting to get a little, I don't know, faded or whatever. Then, then we're starting to enter into an area of problem, aren't we? Paul rarely seems to have taken payment from any of the churches he was at. Now, some churches treated Paul like we treat modern missionaries, where they've gone out and they're in a mission field, and so we support them over there. Some of the churches sent Paul money as he would continue to minister in these these new areas. But the point is his whole ministry was just wrapped in integrity. There was no... There was no motive to fleece the flock. There was, there was no motive here to get rich. And that is a model that we need in the church. Amen? Are you agreed? There's a Twitter account called Preachers and Sneakers. How many have heard of that? More so than Brigadoon, apparently. 
Oh, man. Anyway, appreciation sneakers, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, it's kind of a guilty pleasure to even follow that particularly because I'm not sure we're really supposed to spend our time thinking about it. But what they've done is they've, they've occasionally posted pictures of a particularly prominent sort of health, wealth, megachurch pastor somewhere wearing an outfit, and then they just... They just break down, okay, these are the kind of shoes he has on. These are $500 a pair. These are the, the designer jeans he's wearing. By the time you add it all up, he's like, he's like clothed in somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500 worth of, uh, you know, some of you have never even thought about spending that on, a, on your wardrobe for, you know, a three-year period of time, and he's, he's wearing it all in one, one thing. And, of course, it's poking fun, and it's pointing to something that's, that's, that's not good, and, yeah, I it's not that pastors ought never have anything nice, but, uh, but clearly men who treasure Christ ought to be free from a love of money. There shouldn't be that, that, that greed. Dear ones, avoid churches where pastors uh, are doing this, you know, in that whole guise of health and wealth. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, and it's picking up in mid-thought, and I apologize, but it says, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagine that God, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So he's saying, avoid those people. Don't go near them. If, if they're treating the gospel as, as their cash cow, don't go near them. He also says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So seek churches and leaders who have a model of contentment, not greed. Finally, remember their departure. Remember their departure. Whoever wrote Hebrews says something very similar. He says, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Isn't that what we've, uh, what we've been seeing here in the text? Paul, now he's not dying yet. This is happening around 57 A.D., give or take. That's kind of where it's pegged. And, uh, and Paul will be probably dead within about five years or so. So it's a very short period before his death, but he obviously doesn't know what's going to happen. What he does know is he's not going to see them again, and they presume that they won't see him. There was a time when if you sent a loved one off to the mission field, you were really saying goodbye. You were truly saying goodbye. I, I was joking with someone the other day here in our church who's, who's uh, uh, well, actually two of their children have gone overseas. And it's, it's funny, it's a different world, isn't it? Because you you, they, they can get on the plane and you can be texting the whole way. Every airport they land in, when they get there, you, you, get, you get newsletters, you, you, you're FaceTiming. It's just a different world. They used to go to the dock. You can picture this in England, you know, the London Missionary Society and all that. And they would see their, they, they would see their children off. These aging grandparents, you know, they, they'd be down there at the dock and hugging their, 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 their sons and daughters and saying goodbye to their grandchildren. And they'd watch them go off and all their luggage and, and caskets because they would take caskets with them because generally they were going to end up dying on the mission field. And, a, and apart from an occasional letter back and forth, that was, that was it. They might never, in all probability, they would never see them again. 
That's what's kind of going on here with the, with the Ephesian elders. It says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Paul was a lot warmer, wasn't he, than, you, than we give him credit for. And, and I know why, and, I, and I'm guilty of, of, of seeing Paul this way. You know, I've, I've, I've likened Paul to Honey Badger, because he just, you know, there is no quit in this guy, and he will just take a beating, and he'll keep coming back. But if you think only Honey Badger, uh, or General Patton, or something like that, uh, as this, you know, as Paul's personality, but being so strong and so determined, you lose part of, of, of Paul's personality, of the kind of person he was. he was. He was actually much warmer. They're on their knees praying. Why are they on their knees? Do you have to be on your knees to have an effective prayer? Is that the only way God hears prayers if, if you're on your knees? What's the picture there? They're not going to see each other again. He's going with, with all expectation of being arrested and persecuted and put to death when he gets to Jerusalem. That's, his, that's, that's what kind of he sees in store. They don't expect to ever see one another. And so when they're on their knees, you, could just, you can feel the whole heart of that, can't you? There, there is a sense of, of loss. There's a sense of expectation, of, of fears and sorrows, and, and they pray for one another. Distraught and overcome with emotion, they then embrace Paul and they kiss him. And uh, I know we don't live in a culture where men kiss other men, and uh, I think we can start that with the new men's group. We're going to, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, guys, not going to happen. Just means a whole different thing. I, I, I went to Russia once on, on, a, on a little teaching trip 20 years ago, and, uh, and they do that there. And I avoided that like the plague. There's just something about razor burn that I'm really not kind of, yeah, not really wanting that whole feel. But, uh, but that's the thing in many cultures. It, but it's just, you know, we, it's hard for us as men in, in, in the U.S. to understand it. But what, the, what are they doing? They're just embracing and they're, they're showing their love and their emotional investment, their heart, at, at the idea that they're not going to see each other again. They're brothers. They're, they're fellow soldiers for Christ. They're facing a common enemy. They know that all of their lives are forfeit for the sake of the gospel and that they may never actually see one another again. And this picture of Paul as a model of this, it's a different model than we have in mind when we talk about Paul, isn't it? He's warm. He, he, he's, he's flesh and blood. He loves if we, don't, if we don't see this, we won't quite fully grasp his, his model of ministry. Consider what Paul says to the Thessalonians. I know, different church, but how he ministered in one place seems to be true of how he would minister in another. Look at what he says there. He says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What a picture. What a picture. This is how Paul felt toward them we were like a nursing mother taking care of her children and i love the next verse i wish this was always true of me and, and where my heart is at in ministry he says so being affectionate affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves because you had become dear to us 
how did these leaders depart? These leaders that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The truth is, so much of, of the impact of their ministry and our read, our understanding of, of their ministry is seen in, in, in their departure, in, in the affection, in the weeping surrounding Paul. You think about Jesus when he's standing at the grave of, of Lazarus and it says that he, that he wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, yeah? And, uh, and, the, and then it says that the Jews looking on said, behold how he loved him. So there's, there's just... There's so much in that departure, in that, in that departing moment for Paul where we see the whole nature of, of, of his investment in the lives of the people. And that's the model that we want to see, isn't it? That's the, that's the model that, that we aspire to. I trust you see the power of that. One of the things we have put a lot of work and effort into, and this is not, this is not to brag or, or to say, oh, look at the good job we're doing. I, it, it, it's just a matter of, of stating how we look at doing church here at Grace Community Churches. We have tried very hard to develop a very simple but very healthy model of how to do church. And we're not the first church to do this, but we've put a lot of emphasis on elders and elder training. And if you talk to any of the elders, they can tell you that they're practically sick probably by now of just constantly talking about what their duties are. And, and, and what's expected of them and, and what that looks like. I mean, we're trying, we're trying to set that model where there really hasn't been a model in the American church for so long in, in most places. But that is what we are aspiring to. So find an elder today. In fact, I'd like to ask our elders, current elders, I, I know we have other elders that are not currently serving, but those that are currently serving, if you're here today and you're an elder, would you stand up? Brian, I see you get up, get up, get Don and... Ryan, and where's Rick? Rick should be around here somewhere. Oh, he's teaching, see? That's what a good elder does. These guys are okay too, but, you know, no, I'm kidding. But anyway, <laughs> find an elder. Find, find an elder and thank him today. Encourage him. His, the, the job, the, if, if you've been tracking with this, it's a, it's a heavy thing, isn't it? To be an elder according to how the scripture lays it out, the, the way we are to care, the investment of our lives, of our whole heart, to be that way for, for the people of God, it, it, it is a hard work, and so we need to aspire to that. So if you're an elder today, take heart. If, if you're not an elder, but you're thinking about an elder, understand that the, the role and what it is you're aspiring to. If you're not an elder, again, like I say, just be thankful. Be thankful if you're part of a church where people care about you. Be open. Be open. If you're, if you're a church member of this church, there's an elder who's assigned to you, and they're, tr- they're praying for you. And, they're what, and, and if you go astray, they're going to be knocking at your door. They're going to be sending you the email. They're going to be trying, trying to find you and, and draw you back um, and fi- find out what's wrong. So, so yeah. Be thankful for that. Be open to it. And um, yeah, be thankful for the influence that they have on your life. If you don't know Christ today, um, that's, we, we hold out that word of grace to you today that, that Paul is talking about where he commended them to God and, and to that word of grace. The word of grace is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came into the world to save sinners, you know, of whom I am chief, Paul says, but we're all sinners. We all need that grace. And if you hear of that grace today and you respond and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You'll become part of his 
body of, of the church, but then you will need a local church. We would love to be that local church for you, but by all means, wherever you're at, find a church modeling itself according to the scripture where there are biblical elders and those elders care about you and become part of that. Let's pray. Lord, as, as an elder in this church and um, am, among many others, Lord, I, I am aware, all too aware of, of the high calling of that. And Lord, who is sufficient to such things? So we pray for our men that are elders, that, that you would encourage them and strengthen them, motivate them. Lord, help us to have that heart Lord, not to be so lighthearted that we lack seriousness, but to have that, that heart for the people of God that through tears we might warn those that are going astray and that we might pray for all under our care. Lord, help us to be examples, to be models, and not to covet, not to be greedy in any way, Lord, but to be your servants and, and just be yeah, true to the gospel in all things. Pray for all of our people, Lord, that, that you would do what you've promised to do, that you would watch over them, and that by your word of grace, you might grow them and keep them and, and bring them to glory, bring them to their inheritance among the sanctified. And Lord, even today, may your gospel be heard by, by ears that need to hear, and, uh, and may they come to faith. We ask in your name, amen.